Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Listening to the Chaos Chronicles, I'm Leon Dolan. Thanks for being here with me today. It's a cold, rainy day here in Pasadena, California, December 13th. And uh, I thought that music kind of summed up the mood I'm in. As many of you know, I've been going through a lot over the last couple months, including the death of my mom at the end of November. So I thought it was the perfect day for a little chat, a little conversation, just to keep the many of you who have asked and sent such nice emails and postings and things like that just to fill you in on what the last couple of months was like and sort of what's ahead. Um, It's just a way to communicate and uh, I don't have any news stories today. Probably no jokes. Um, Although I did enjoy that news story about the monkey at Ikea. Maybe the story of the year. But other than that, um, it's really just a way for me to check in and mainly to thank you. Um, So... So thank you for um, being so incredibly gracious and sympathetic and um, empathetic and sending lovely emails and comments. It was really astonishing. And a little bit later on in the show, I have a a list of sort of lessons learned um, from the whole experience of my mom being sick and then ultimately dying. And um, one of them is that little things really matter and all those All the messages, the lovely emails, the, you know, nice remembrances of my mother. It just really, really mattered. So a very heartfelt thank you to all of the Chaos Crew and the Satellite Sisterhood for your support over many years, but particularly over the last couple months. You know, here is sort of what happened in a nutshell, and we were able to, I think, to do one Satellite Sister show about a month ago. Um, But my mom, 85, was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer in the beginning of October. It sort of took us all by surprise. Um, My father, who's in the late stages of Alzheimer's, had had a lot of medical issues and emotional issues, behavioral issues over the summer. And it was a very, um, very intense summer for us and very emotional and very stressful summer for everybody, but particularly for my mom as he went to live in a facility and, and that facility didn't quite work out for us. So he was going to move to Texas with my mom to shortly follow. Um, so they would be near my sister, Julie, my dad would be in a facility and my mom would move in with my sister, Julie. And, uh, cause it was clear over the summer that she definitely needed Um, to live with somebody. She was lonely. It seemed like her own health was failing. Maybe she wasn't taking great care of herself. She was being treated for um, a back injury, uh, and that turned out actually to be cancer. So so sort of on the same day that my dad moved to Texas, my mom was taken to the emergency room here in Santa Monica. She was having a hard time breathing, and she was diagnosed two hours later with lung cancer. So the whole diagnosis was really a shock (laughs) because, uh, you know, until she had the cancer, my mother was very, very healthy. So it's sort of the last thing in the world any of us expected, you know, the stress 
I might, we could have understood almost any other diagnosis but that. Um, but I can tell you, you know, honestly, by the time she was diagnosed, it was clear, you know, that she was really too sick. Uh, she was so, so sick when she was diagnosed that there wasn't really anything that could be done medically for her. Um, and that, I think, is a very different uh, place to be when you're dealing with someone with cancer, um, when there's not not going to be a recovery. Um, it's just a very, we had to accept things very quickly, or at least deal with things very quickly. I know every cancer patient has a lot to work with uh, very quickly. They have to make a lot of decisions. I've heard that over and over again, like, oh, you have cancer. Okay, now you have to make 9,000 decisions in the next three weeks about the rest of your life. But um, one of the things I, I think struck us over the course of the next seven weeks is my mom just got sicker and sicker was, you know, there was almost not even that much time for acceptance <laughs> that for on anybody. It was still hard to accept that she was sick, you know, and then then she was gone. So um, in short, she ended up spending the last seven weeks of her life with my sister Liz at my sister's house. And um, it was just a more comfortable place for her to be. And it was a little bit bigger than the apartment she had been in. Uh, you know, Liz not necessarily the one in our family that people think of as the go-to caregiver, but she did an amazing job being with my mother and coordinating her care and coordinating uh, her doctors. And um, people had the opportunity, my you know, seven siblings had the opportunity to come and go and provide company and nursing care and meals and good wishes um, over the course of the next seven weeks. So, uh, and then um, my mom sort of rallied for Thanksgiving, always been really her favorite holiday, but it was pretty clear the last two weeks of her life that she was very sick. Um, and uh, and that was um, very difficult uh, to sort of witness and be around and, and see. Um, and then she rallied for Thanksgiving. Uh, which was appropriate. If you know Edna Dolan or have heard our stories over the years, you know that Thanksgiving was her favorite holiday. And um, we just had a very small gathering at Liz's apartment. I made butternut squash because she loved butternut squash. I brought some of my pilgrims and my turkeys and my table runners, but not too much because there was a lot of medical equipment in the place at the time. And then after Thanksgiving, um, her health just really deteriorated very quickly, and she died on the Monday after Thanksgiving. And, you know, what I can tell you about that period, that seven-week period, um, and I had many of you write in to say, yes, you had been through that, it's just there's just a general fogginess. Like, you cannot believe you were in this cycle of sickness, and everything else in your life falls away, whether whether you have time for it to fall away or not, you know, <laughs> that was the odd thing for me as we had just been through a very stressful period, my father, and we felt like we were at a finish line. And then all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, this is so much more. Um, so the intensity of the period was such, and everything seemed secondary. You know, I, I don't know, was there an election? I don't know. Like somehow I had to apply my son to college. Life gets in, uh, life goes on. So like I helped him write his essay one day when we were at the hospital and, uh, you know, those sorts of things happened. And 
games went on and some work got done. But in general, you're just really in sort of your own intense world uh, for, in our case, it was just two months. It was just two months. And, uh, you know, one of the good things is when my mom died, she had had a chance to talk to to us, to my brother in particular, about her funeral arrangements. And after she died, I was going through her papers and I found some notes about music she liked at church. And I just sort of instinctively knew this is what she wanted played at her funeral. Why would she have kept this missalette here and circled these things and wrote these notes in? And, you know, there were little conversations like that over the course of the seven weeks that you know, led us to create, I think, a very lovely funeral for her that ironically she would have loved to attend. <laughs> um, I, one of my cousins said, I know your mom wasn't there, but really you couldn't have gotten any closer. She said it in a, a lovely manner, just like you absolutely sort of did justice to your mom. It was a very meaningful funeral in our hometown of Fairfields, Connecticut. Um, all her children were there, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren. My cousins flew in from all over the country. Uh, everybody sort of had just a few friends, good friends from high school or elementary school or college that came. Um, some of our work colleagues from ABC Radio, like Sarah Sweeney, were able to take the train out from New York. So. I have to say, um, the funeral was just a very, um, a very meaningful sort of emotionally satisfying experience. And, uh, I understand, you know, I understand the importance of ritual and it was just, um, really, uh, compounded for me that day. Like we absolutely, absolutely needed that ritual. And I felt very satisfied when we flew back home to California that we had, sort of done all we could have done for my mom in the last eight weeks of her life and then sent her on her journey in a really meaningful and befitting way. Um, so that's a good feeling. <laughs> I would I would recommend that. Uh, I'm no grief counselor and I'm no expert in death. And uh, it's not like we're these, you know, emotional kumbaya, let's all hold hands kind of family. That's not really our style. But I, I can honestly say that over the last seven weeks, you know, people showed up and, and they said their goodbyes in the way that they needed to say them. And I, I don't think anybody when my mom died had any regrets. And that's a good place to be in. And I think a good place for her to be in too. Um, so that was sort of, uh, what happens over the last eight weeks, it seems so unbelievable now. I think that's probably common, too, that you get through this intense illness and then sort of the public mourning, and then you get home, and you think, okay, now I know I have to do the real work of grieving, and that will come up in weird ways, and, you know, there are going to be things that remind me of her, and one of the oddest sensations was coming home and wanting to pick up the phone and call her and tell her about the great funeral I was just at. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally would have been something I would have done. <laughs> and I, I think I was surprised. My parents have lived in Southern California for uh, four years, and I was surprised how much of a daily part, a, le a part of my daily life that they had become. Um, even though I didn't live in Santa Monica, I live um, about 30 miles away, uh, I had definitely gotten into the habit, particularly over the last year, of calling my mom every day around 5 o'clock just to check in and, 
you know, to see how she was doing. She was at home caring for my dad with the Alzheimer's. That's a long day. I just wanted to have a, like a verbal conversation with her to sort of gauge where her mental and emotional health was on any given day with my dad. And my sister Liz lives close to her, but travels a lot for business. So, you know, I definitely, um, had sort of underestimated that kind of five o'clock sadness, you know, when I would pick up the phone and call her. And, and when you're calling someone every day, you sort of need material. Like, you know, you think of things to say, what are we going to talk about today? What did we see on Dr. Oz or what was on Good Morning America? Or what am I making for dinner? Or what are the kids doing? Like you start to work on your material a little bit. And I've noticed over the last couple of weeks that I've been home that, um, that, that, I don't have to do that anymore. And it's kind of uh, a surprise. It's, it, it's, it leaves you with a, it's an emptiness, but also it leaves you with just time. I, I didn't realize how much time I was spending in a positive way, but how much time I was spending on details like that until you don't have to do that anymore. So um, for those of you wondering, my dad is fine. He's in Dallas. Um, he is at a terrific facility there. He's having a lot of interaction with my sister Julie's family. He is in the late stages of Alzheimer's, so how much he understands about what's happened is, is really hard to say. Um, uh, but um, And that was just a piece at the funeral that was hard to even articulate, sort of that sadness that, you know, my mother was gone. And my father couldn't even be a part of of that. Um, that was very difficult. I have to say that it was kind of um, the something that was in the room that um, was hard to even talk about. Uh, I will say at the funeral, my sister Liz gave a lovely eulogy. If you've ever been to a Catholic mass, you know they don't um, don't really go for eulogies. <laughs> Not really, it's not really a family-friendly situation there at the Catholic Church. You know, the funeral is a sacrament. So uh, the priest gives a homily, and then they allow you five minutes at the end for a eulogy. And um, uh, the priest did an amazing job with the homily, actually. Um, it turns out that the church my mom, we had the Mass, and my parents had been the founding members of that church in Fairfield, Connecticut, St. Pius. And many years ago, they had actually donated the altar uh, so the priest did an amazing job using the altar as really a metaphor for the table and, you know, the family and the place that you gather and you bring your burdens. And it was really powerful. And um, and then Liz uh, got up and did a bang up job with the eulogy. A little bit of humor, a little bit of good fun, a lot of tears at the end. Um, again, very satisfying. So I think I'm rambling here, but... Oh, well, <laughs> I, had an, I had an outline. What was I thinking? <laughs> so, so that's what's been happening. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable to me that um, it's mid-December and we're heading into the holidays. And that has all occurred um, since the beginning of October. Um, but here are a couple lessons I've learned over this experience and I'll share them and many of you shared the same with me so I don't think there's anything life-changing here but um, uh, I certainly had a few things reinforced to me over the last couple months um, first of all you never know what people are going through I, I I feel like the older I've gotten the more sort of forgiving and patient I've gotten with people who might not be like smiley and nice all the time and 
you know, people will say, oh, so-and-so never returned my call, blah, 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 or why didn't they do this, blah, blah, blah. And I've learned to say, you know, you never know what people are going through. And I've never felt that more acutely than the last three months, first with my dad and that stress, and then with my mom. You know, I... I might not have always returned your phone calls or returned your smile um, because I was just, I was in a fog. I was just going through a lot. And you know what? I didn't really care <laughs> on certain things. And I, I tried to sort of buck up and be part of society. But I remember distinctly one day right after my mom had been diagnosed, I was at the grocery store. And at the grocery store, I don't know what the litany of questions they ask you at the checkout now. It's like... Uh, you know, did you put in your Vons Club number? Did you bring your own bags? Do you want to help out to your car? Do you want to donate to prostate cancer? Do you want to? There were like 20 questions and I almost lost my mind. I just wanted to scream, my mother is dying of cancer. Will you just shut up? I didn't, but I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to, to scream that. And, um, and it's given me a perspective that you just never really know what's happening in people's lives. And you should be particularly sensitive to that. I think it's not always that they don't care that they're, uh, you know, not getting back to you. It's, you just don't know what's going on in their lives. So that's just something to remember. Um, the second thing I've learned was take the help. I am lucky to have a fantastic support system here in Pasadena. Uh, that's when you know you've been in a town a long time and you've made some good friends when just food starts showing up at your doorway and <laughs> your front door and like with, you know, instructions, don't call me, no need to thank me, don't even return the Tupperware. And uh, it's just, it was so uh, gratifying. And, uh, you know, people call and say, can I bring you dinner? And if I actually needed it, I would say, yeah, mm -hmm, that would be a good day. I didn't, we didn't need dinner every night. Uh, but the nights we needed it, the people delivered it. It was amazing. Or people just calling to say, I'm thinking of you. It was very touching and really appreciated. Um, you know, when you're going through something like this and so many of us are with our parents or with other family members, uh, independence is totally overrated. Go for the interdependence, <laughs> you know, say yes to the dinner or say yes to, um, uh, to having someone take your kid to the practice or, you know, say yes to the prayers and the thoughts and, and whatever, you know, say yes to the person who wants to walk your dog that day. Yeah. Just say yes. You know, there's no reason to say no. Uh, you're just going to exhaust yourself and you'll be very grateful. Um, that you had a hot meal or that the dog got walked at the end of the day. Uh, you know, the other thing I discovered is <laughs> I, maybe I should apologize, uh, but total strangers can provide a tremendous amount of comfort. I mean, my friends and family were great, but you know who else was great? People I had no idea. I had never met before. You know, uh, it's a stressful time and I've definitely found myself emotional in places I had never been before or, you know, talking to people, uh, certainly in medical offices or in hospice, the lovely hospice people who were so nice or um, almost anyone in the hospital or doctor setting, you know, just people who may see you in a weak moment and reach out. People are nice. They completely get uh, going through a situation like that. And I just found they were <laughs> incredibly helpful. We had one, I had one moment, uh, there was a little sandwich shop near 
the hospital in Santa Monica, and I lost it one day at the sandwich shop. Um, after I had ordered just a very complicated chicken salad sandwich <laughs> and Julie called and I was telling Julie what the doctor had said. And this was, uh, when my mom's condition was very, very grim. Uh, she was in very grave shape and, um, I was the only one in the place and, um, nice Mark there, uh, the chef who had already introduced himself had, you know, heard me crying, brought me some coffee, you know, made me an extra sandwich to take back to my family. And then he started crying. <laughs> so, so, because he had just lost his dad. So there we were at the sandwich clock shop, you know, on a, on a Saturday afternoon, uh, both crying. So, but I will never forget Mark's kindness and the sandwiches were much appreciated. And that hot cup of coffee made a real difference that night. And I, 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 I had about a dozen interactions like that just over the course of the eight weeks that my mom was sick. Just, you know, people reaching out that didn't need to reach out at all. And um, that was just a really unexpected surprise. And it's just those kind of interactions that can get you through a really tough day. And then... Leading to that is all the wonderful things that you all did, the lovely posts, the idea that little gestures can really mean an enormous amount. Um, it was just really uh, uplifting to see so many nice messages and so many posts about my mom after she died and how she had touched you and the stories of her had sort of changed your life in some tiny way. I was surprised how many people said <laughs> they don't walk into TJ Maxx without thinking about my mom. And I was so pleased at that too, you know, because that is exactly uh, the sort of thing that she would have liked to have been remembered for. So, um, and that gestures like that, nice things, cards, letters, uh, so, so important, you know, as she was sick and after she died. And a lesson I learned, I said to my sisters, I don't know if I was nice enough to people when their mother died before. Like, I think I was sympathetic, but I'm not sure I was that nice. <laughs> I'm not sure I went the extra mile. You know, you tend to think we're at our age, someone's mother dies. How old is she? Oh, 85. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I mean, right. I knew my mother wasn't going to live forever. It doesn't have the same sense of tragedy as, you know, someone, a young person dying or someone dying in midlife. My mother was 85. It's not ex unexpected, but it's still sad. And uh, I realize now, like, I probably should have sent more cards to people. Uh, I, I feel like I've been nice to them and sympathetic, but I am going to send the cards next time. Or, you know, when you see at the obituary a donation in their name, I'm going to make a little donation in their name because I've gotten a couple of those from people who have donated in my mother's name to various organizations. That is a lovely gesture. It's a very lovely gesture. You know, those things that say, um, don't send flowers, send flowers, because I got a beautiful um, arrangement of flowers from my friend Mickey, who, uh, you know, the day after my mom died. And I was surprised how much, um, how much joy I got in those flowers, how I walked into the house and I saw this beautiful arrangement of white roses and white hydrangeas. And it just so reminded me of my mom. It really was a lovely gesture. And you know what? Mickey was the type of person she was going to send those flowers, even if I had said in lieu of flowers. And I'm glad she did. You know, people 
one neighbor give me I several people give rose bushes to me that I'll plant in my mother's honor which was also an incredibly nice gesture and I've just been surprised that these gestures actually do get you through the process and it's not too late um well I mean you don't have to send me (laughs) me anything (laughs) don't send me anything no, I'm good. But I just met if you have a friend who maybe has even lost their mother, their parents, a sister this year, go ahead and send them a card at Christmas because they'll be missing them. You know, I, I totally, I get that now. Like these milestones that everyone's always talked about or this is going to be tough or that's going to be tough. I don't think it's ever too late to sort of acknowledge uh, someone's loss. So, um, you know, I definitely plan on doing that this year and I'll be better in the future. Um, but that was a lesson to me too. Um, now what, you know, now it's December 13th. (laughs) Uh, we had Thanksgiving with my mom. Um, my dad will be in Christmas for Texas and, uh, in Texas for Christmas. And so my sister Liz and I were saying, what are we going to do for Christmas? And you know what? I don't even really feel like doing anything and either does she. And I think that's okay. I, you know, just trying not to get worked up or feel bad about that or it would be tempting. This is the season where you could really like plunge into a million activities. I just don't feel like it. And you know what? I'm not going to apologize for that. So I have a zillion things that I put into the deferred maintenance category from actual deferred maintenance. Um, like my dishwasher has not worked in a month. <laughs> so I was resting it as per my mother's instructions. And then it just became a situation where I was in Santa Monica too much. I couldn't, I couldn't schedule a repair. And you know, ever since I got back, um, I found sort of a comfort in washing dishes. I know that's crazy. I know, but, but I know I need to get to fixing the dishwasher. Okay. I'll get to that. Like same thing with my car has need to be serviced for months. And first I was going back and forth a lot with my dad's situation. And then my mom's, I just couldn't ever find a day where I could schedule it and keep it, uh, keep the appointment. I-, I cannot tell you how many doctor's appointments the kids have missed. I mean, they're in, they're doing orthodontia. So if you have kids with orthodontia, you know, I don't know. They have to go to that orthodontist like every two weeks or something. And we have like missed and rescheduled and there have been eye appointments we missed. And then my son broke his arm. So then he's missed his allergy appointments. It's all deferred. And you know what? I just call the office. I say, you know, my mom is very sick and then my, my mom has died. And you know what? People are nice. They don't yell at you when you say that. Um, but we have to sort of get on all that. There's work I've been doing. I was supposed to hand in the manuscript for my book November 1st. And I just found um, the writing very slow going. Uh, even if I wasn't in Santa Monica, sort of the stress and the seriousness of all the decision making and the phone calls and the decisions, it was not fertile ground for me to write um, comedy, which is what my fiction writing is. So uh, it's funny, the Monday after like a week after my mom died before we went to the funeral was the first time I'd had a chance in a while to sit down with the manuscript. And it was a completely different feeling writing that day than any time over the past eight weeks. I looked at the stuff I had written since her diagnosis, like stuff was down, uh, but it was not entertaining. (laughs) 
not entertaining in the least. I was like, this is really bad. Really tedious. I really got to work on this. But it was just a different experience because um, that, you know, that enormous responsibility was gone for better or for worse. And that's its own sort of thing to deal with. Like, ooh, now that's all gone. Now what? But um, so my novel, Complete Deferred Maintenance, I'm going to work on that. Uh, maybe I'll get some Christmas cards out this year. Uh, my mother-in-law wants to have us all over for Christmas Day. That's fine. I don't need to have anyone. <laughs> so I told the kids, I'm like, pick like one present because that's it. So my husband, you know, I just don't bother. We don't, I don't need any gifts this year. Uh you know, we just have to sort of get through the next couple of weeks. I'm hoping to make it to 2013, maybe have a more positive year. Um, but uh, I think for me, the strategy this holidays will be just lay very low, do a lot of writing and not a lot of other stuff. Enjoy my boys and my husband. Our 20th anniversary is coming up January 2nd. And um, we hadn't really planned anything, again, given the situation with my mother. So I think we'll defer that a little bit, and that's okay, too. Um, but that uh, that is sort of what's happened over the last couple months in a nutshell. Um, maybe I'll get one or two more podcasts out before the end of the year, uh, I, but I might wait till the first of the year. Um, I do have to do a lot of writing. Uh, I'm excited to wrap up the book very quickly here. And, um, now I'm in a much better place to do that than I was in two months ago. So that's a little bit about what's been happening here. Um, again, I just want to thank people for their support and their interest and the lovely things they said about my mom. Um, if you wanted to read the tribute I wrote to my mom, I will put a link at the Chaos Chronicles. I know some people just listen to the show and they don't necessarily um, go to the website for the writing, but I did write a tribute to my mom. Um, and uh, I think it really sums her life up in a very positive way. So I'm happy to repost that again with information about this podcast. I also had to write the obituary and uh, I, I left my brother out. So that was good. <laughs> that, was good. that was good. I had three people proof it. And we sent it out for one final proofing to everybody. And the, my brother Brennan was like, hey, how come I didn't make the list? I was like, oh, that's its own sort of writing. I was not used to writing obituaries. Very different than a tribute. Anyway, um, but my my thanks to all of you. Um, you've meant the world to me over the last three months. And um, this is not the kind of chaos that I want in my life, but... This is the kind of chaos that sometimes you have to have in your life and you make it through, right? By embracing that, I guess. Thank you so much. I'm Leanne Dolan. This is the Chaos Chronicles. Don't forget, embrace your chaos.